Hi guys, I'm your host Tim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of We Need to Talk About Movies, a podcast brought to you by the Bantaflix Movie Review website. So this episode is one of our live recordings from an event we attended last month here in Belfast when myself and Banterflix's deputy editor Joe McElroy attended a screening run by the Belfast Psychoanalytical Film Club. They had put on a screening of Shame and invited us down to talk about the film. So I was joined in this recording by Dr Mary Cairns and you'll also hear input from some of the members of the club themselves. But before you hear that recording, let's play a clip of the film. Well, Stephen said you wanted to see me. Yes, uh, dude, nine o'clock this morning, where were you? Dentist, root canal. Oh, shit, man, what did I tell you about that? Who'd you see? Gary Scher, uh, King's Practice, West 57th Street. Good, good. You're staying in the company health plan, I hope, right? Sure. That's what it's there for, man. All right, brother. Listen, one more thing. Your hard drive is filthy, right? We got your computer back. I mean, it is, it is dirty. I'm talking like hose, sluts, anal, double anal, penetration, interracial, facial, man, cream pie. I don't even know what that is. You think it was your intern? On oh, my heart drive? Yeah, somebody's fucking with your account, man. We're blowing our wad in cash, you know? It takes a really, really sick fuck to spend all day on that shit. So that's a clip of Shame. And as I said in my little introduction, we are here as a guest of the Psychoanalytical Film Club. We've just seen the film. It was an absolute pleasure to be your guest this evening. I'm joined by Joe, our very own Joe McElroy, and Dr. Mary Cairns. And we're going to be talking about the film. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Joe, as Mr. Bantaflix. I'm the person that picked this film, so feel free to kind of reflect on what that says about me than anything <laughs> else. But we'll not go down there because nobody wants to psychoanalyze me. But, you know, you have seen the film. I know there's a few people tonight in the audience who haven't seen it. You had seen this before, but what's your thoughts um, when I first seen it, I was just you know really struck by how raw and sort of visceral and how uh, Steve McQueen really just goes full hilt and you know hides nothing and just bears all on screen and you know figuratively and literally about <laughs> uh, the topic of uh, sex addic- addiction and. Uh, the thing that I really took away from it was Michael Fassbender's performance and how he has everything internalized and how uh, it's not so much it's it's not so much even his expressions it's really just his eyes you can just tell everything that's ra- racing and running through his head just by a look and a stir and I think that's summed up perfectly in the opening sequence when he's almost got this predatory gaze at the woman on the subway train yeah. But uh, yeah, when I first seen it, that, the two main things I took away from it was you know its rawness and the actual performances. Yeah, I I, I adore this film. As I said, I don't know if that says anything about me more than anything. Uh, I was just saying there kind of before we started to record. There's parts of this that remind me of early Scorsese, and we can see that the comparisons that were there were made at the time to De Niro when we see this performance, and there's scenes where we see Brandon jogging through the streets of New York and it does remind you of Travis from Taxi Driver mm-hmm. that sense of someone literally going through the streets of New York and watching it tonight there's something at times vampiric 
about his character in the sense that he just he like there's particularly a scene near the end and, and feel free to spoiler because we do have our spoiler warning at the start of the pod like we do see a scene near the end where he like like a junkie he needs his fix because because sex for him in this film it's not about intimacy it's not about it's just a, a fix it's your next thing and those things can can never mix and it's something I know I'm going to come back to but there's that scene in a pub near the end where he's just looking for a, fi- a quick fix and there is something kind of Christopher Lee kind of vampiric about him in the way that his in the, in the way of his actions uh, I'm going to talk about more because for me there's three really big scenes in this but that's kind of for a, later on Mary yourself your thoughts in the film I think I'm really struck I know Joe was picking up on uh, Michael Fassbender's performance, but I think Carrie Mulligan as well. She absolutely shines. Yeah. Her rendition of New York, New York is totally heartrending. Mm. It just absolutely rips, rips your heart out with the level of vulnerability that she brings to it. Mm. It's so melancholic. It's so uh, desperately desperate. Um, you can just see, you can see her just showing and exposing herself, um, the, the depth of desperation within her. Um, it's beautiful yeah. in the most painful kind of way. Um, so I think her performance is absolutely stellar as well. She's, she is pretty I amazing. think they're, they're both great. Like They're very much the flip of the coin yes, of each the other, other side. you know for one yes. sex in this film is not about intimacy no, for for Brandon's character but it's the the opposite mm. for Sissy like I mean I don't know if you noticed I mean it's only tonight from rewatching it again like when we're first introduced to her like anyone I know there's quite a few people who only saw this tonight for the first time when we're first introduced to her by the use of the answering phone we think she's like a, a jilted one night stand there's, there's not mm. a sense of a brother sisterly relationship but even when we finally first meet her, when she's invaded Brandon's fortress of solitude, where his mm. he can, you know, that idea of what is in public and, and private, very much in the news today with everything with Philip Schofield, but let's not go there. Mm-hmm. But when she inv- when we first meet her, like I think it's playing on the record players, like uh, I think it's uh, I Want Your Love is yeah. playing there. And even yeah. the song that she sings with... Uh, uh, the, with New, New York, New York, mm. it's a song about love and falling in love with that city and what it all what it represents. That's very much the forefront of her character. As I say, she's the flip of the coin, and mm. I, they, they're both fantastic performances. This mm. was the film that made me stand up, take note of Kerry Mulligan. I had seen Michael Fassbender in Hunger, which is another Steve McQueen film, and kind of this was him, kind of before he ventured into Mr. Blockbuster, he kind of was signed up to the X-Men franchise, we think of the Assassin's Creed stuff. This was him right at the forefront of an exciting new presence on on the big screen. I'm going to open it up to the audience now. We do have a microphone that's roving round. Um, so feel free to, to kind of talk through to the microphone. There was quite a few people tonight, I saw hands going up, who hadn't seen it. Which kind of meant there's this limitations on what you can kind of say in your little introduction. But just from anyone watching it tonight, did anyone love it? And any, is anybody not that fussed? I know I picked this film, but does anybody really, really not like it? I was prepared for something much more shocking okay. and graphic. Because uh, I heard well, so much about this. I think it was, it was shocking. And I did not find it 
shocking at all. Well, I have to be honest. Watching it again tonight, I kind of go, I remember the, the fuss about this guy. I, I worked at the Queen's Film Theatre when this was on. I was then getting to Mary before we came on. Uh, before you were here this evening, I worked at the Queen's Film Theatre and I remember kind of there was warnings about how expletive uh, it was. And tonight I was kind of going, this seems quite tame. And then there is that menage a trois, that's me being very classy, about a, a very unclassy act that happens in that film. And I kind of go, well, I can see quite clearly why firmly it has its 18 certificate. Because, I mean, that is bordering on <coughs> hardcore pornography. But I agree with you. I mean, there are more shocking films than this. You know that I, I think I think what it is it's, it's interesting. It's made me think about what it means for a uh, a mainstream film to be shocking, mm-hmm. graphic, because uh, at this point in, in in history, I think everything's been seen <laughs> in terms of literally seeing acts being portrayed, mm. human acts that humans can can carry out on 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 film. I, I, for me, I, I realized that I was thinking shocking at a deeper level. Mm. I was thinking, uh, is he and, uh, and his sister, is something going to happen between the two of them? Uh, is he going to rape his sister? Mm. Is, is that rape, is that penetration going to be not physical? Is it going to mm. be emotional? I would find that more disturbing than than the physical, than seeing something visually graphic. Do you not like the idea that it's very much left to our imagination? That idea of, as the line I said in my brief introduction, Brandon and Sissy, they don't consider themselves bad people. They come from a bad place. We don't know what that necessarily is. Like Thinking about it tonight, actually, and I don't know why I've never thought of it before, and maybe I am way off the mark because you know I'm not the the writer. But I mean, could it be a sense that they are adopted? You know, could there be that sense of of a, a kind of almost taboo relationship or something from they they come from care that we just don't know? Because I mean, at times they do not act like I, I'm an only child, so here I cannot weigh on on this with much kind of knowledge. They don't act like what we expect, brother and sister. To be like, I come back to that scene when we first meet them. Kind of, I I do not want to see as if I had a sister that I would not want to see her naked. I know that, but I mean, it's almost that sense like we we see him. He looks, and I'm just being honest about that. He looks, and she doesn't kind of feel the need to to shy away. She there's there's something there. I don't know. I mean, Joe, Mary, your kind of thoughts on that? Um. I don't know. Like, I just um, like some of the papers that Mary you know sent over in regards to this here. They kind of hint at the idea that maybe they've come from some sort of incestuous mm. relationship in their past, and that's obviously had a ripple effect on Brandon in terms of how he's become emotionally repressed. Whereas Sissy's done the almost the opposite of it. She's mm. very open and honest with her emotions to the point where it's almost too much for her in the sense that you know you can see that she's. Uh, tried to commit suicide on a number of mm. occasions or just self-harmed even mm. uh, so I've always felt like like you said it was left to your imagination but there are always those slight hints mm-hmm. like when they're play fighting on the sofa and then it becomes suddenly very violent with Brandon shouting at her and then anytime she tries to become intimate with him like uh, she goes into his bedroom and just wants to cuddle up with him because as she says she's cold and he just wants nothing to do with it he just mm. wants to completely shut her out so you can tell there's something very serious that's happened in her past, but it's all steeped in ambiguity. Yeah, Mary, what yeah. about you? Yeah, I think it raises a lot of 
questions over whether or not there was some kind mm. of um, incestuous relationship mm. or, or whether they were both subjected to some kind of abuse mm. or sexual abuse but they may have even witnessed sexual abuse happening to each other and therefore a kind of a bond mm. through that, a kind of perverse bond. Because um, we come back to that song, the sequence where it's, yeah. it's, it's beautifully shot. I mean, the camera just focuses in on Carrie Mulligan mm -hmm. and we see it's one of the few times we see Brandon's character. It is that kind of the what I dream of having as a beautiful single tear moment. I haven't had one. I'm a terrible crier. <laughs> I'm, I am not a beautiful crier. <laughs> but we see that that is clearly a, a trigger for something. And we don't know whether it's the fact that he doesn't believe because we see just moments before. And it's actually it's only popped into my head. I do apologize. This is how my mind works. There's a sequence just before where we see Brandon and Sissy on the, the train on the train tracks on by the subway station. And it's probably the one of the only moments that they do seem like brother and sister. It's one of those few moments that they actually seem it's like, oh, what, you're actually good at singing, I'm getting paid for it. This exciting. he doesn't believe whether or not that moment is that moment of clarity that he realizes she is good at this, whether it's a choice of song is triggering something. Mm. We we again it comes back to that mark that we we don't really know. We don't know what it is. And mm -hmm. even in that sequence, you know, we see that Carrie Mulligan's character is very close to tears as well. There's clearly an emotional significance. And we, we later on, it's only the reason why I talk about being adopted is that we see, you know, Carrie Mulligan's character says, oh, she was from Jersey. And then Michael Fassbender's character, Brandon, he says, oh, they were from, well, it's just because he's older, um, but they came from the Ireland. Mm -hmm. To America. I don't know. Maybe I'm putting two and two together here and getting five. It happens often, believe me. Um, anybody else want to share their thoughts and kind of what they they thought of the film? And just coming back to yourself, actually, you know, even though that you you find yourself that you weren't shocked by it. I mean, what's your actual thoughts of yeah, what you yeah, watched? I, I started. It, it, maybe I sounded like I was I was hoping for more shock. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. Don't I, worry. I'll recommend you stuff for further reading. <laughs> No, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, it was it was a very enjoyable uh, time. I had, you know, well spent. I feel watching this film because um, I feel it 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 um, the the word uh, nakedness uh, mm. it just permeates everything. It's 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 it bears it all and and not in a, in a cheap graphic way, which mm. is what I, what I thought was going to see more of. Be honest, it's what you were hoping for. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that stuff is, is... It's Friday <laughs> evening, we've all, had, we've all been there. Um, no, it, it, it's rich, it's, it's complex, it's rich, and at the same time, it's, it just speaks of desolation and, and, mm. and, and loneliness in a way that is absolutely disarming. Yeah. Um, and, and the beauty of, of the, the camera work, mm -hmm. The tones in the underground, the scene, the scenes in the underground. There is a moment um, that the woman, the, the flirt, the, flirt, the, the co-worker. No, the the woman in the underground. Is she? Is oh, the lady in the subway at the beginning. Yeah, the yeah. married lady yeah. in this yeah. uh, flirting mm. between them. Um, yeah. the, the second and final scene. Mm -hmm. It just brought me back to. Um, Early daguerreotype style, mm. uh, Victorian uh, hand-painted photographs. If you know, if, I don't know if people know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the the earliest form of photography, uh, Victorian type. It was photography, film, and then you know, plates and things. 
and then photographers would have touched with yeah. color very mm. very gently uh, just tinting the the photograph to achieve the sense of realism that they were after mm-hmm. yeah. um, and it there's something very beautiful very uh, artistic about that I thought it such care and therefore intimacy mm-hmm. and the way the, the camera uh, is, is holding us uh, it, I found that very beautiful despite the fact that the content was extremely painful and, yeah. and psychologically shocking yeah yeah because it, it's the two things I think I think of when I see those two scenes that we're talking about referring at the start and the end of the film that, that bookend it pretty much. When I watch it the first time around, we see that this woman almost goes through in the space of what, a minute, two minutes, all the emotions that Brandon's character pretty much goes through throughout that, this entire film. When we see her the first time, she's titillated, she's roused, and then she's almost disgusted by her. We see that for a moment, that she's disgusted by herself. And then she pretty much makes a beeline to get out of there as quickly as she can. We don't know what would have happened had Brandon caught up with her. There is something predatory about him in that sequence that is is kind of awkward looking at now through 2020's vision. When we think of the Time's Up, we think of the Me Too. But then it's there's something almost kind of jumping slightly similar to what you're kind of saying, or kind of jumping a bit further from what you were saying, that there's something quite kind of like the, the last temptation of Christ. Almost, I'm not, I, I am not a man of faith. I don't go so. Please don't think of that me in that way. But there is that almost sense that it's this person. This person from the start of the film is back. We, I don't think when we talk about addiction, I don't think anyone has ever really cured or, or, or cured of that addiction. We think of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's something that it's an ongoing process. But in the last moment of this film, she's almost sent back as the final test. And the same way that that film, like in so many, like we think of like The Sopranos. The, it, what happens after the the film ends? The film shut stops. You know, the, the it fades to black before a decision is made. Will we see him kind of pass this test, or will we see him kind of? I feel like I'm going to go like Kathy Bates in the Water Boy, like the devil. Will will he pass that test, or will he succumb to the the, the, the sensuous ways of the devil? I don't know. That's just me. Uh, that's a, a brainwave I had. I don't feel free to interject. Uh, for me. That moment, you know, at the end is all about the idea that Brandon is never going to escape who he is. Like, it's almost hardwired into him that he is an addict and he always will be because, in a way, he never really confronts it, bar maybe the moment where he just gets rid of all his, uh, you know, pornography around the house. Well, that's like what you would call like the classic purge. You know, I I remember there's, you would read people about kind of who cross-dress, they have that purge and then eventually it's like, no, well, eventually things are gathered back together. But the thing is, I think, the, the, the reason behind that was he wanted he was trying to establish a yeah. normal relationship but then he realised he, he's not even capable of that but at the same time he doesn't really show any effort to try and work at that on himself you know sort of uh, attend some sort of therapy or something to get out yeah. of it he just accepts okay this is probably who I'm going to be so he just completely uh, falls into his own habits and just continues on with it in that respect um, one thing I did want to bring up is the way McQueen actually shoots the you know uh, sex scenes in it. Mm-hmm. They're not for titillation; they're just very voyeuristic to make you yeah. almost repulsed by the acts. Uh, well, well that menagerie toy yeah. kind of alluded to. You That's know, it. it's not sexy. It's no. not sensuous. You are kind of like mm. basically. I'm being crude, like, but you would not want to be in the middle of that. 
it's I'm just being on. You just wouldn't. It's not yeah. something I would want to be. A and part even of. the music, like the music in that scene, is taken from the Thin Red Line, I yeah. think, and the sequence in Thin Red Line that's used in is about the almost the poetic horrors of war. Yeah. So then that sort of was in the back of my head while I was watching that again. And yeah, it's just it's like you said, it's a hot, it's it's very tactile almost mm. in the way that scene. You just like you said, is you're repulsed to sort of be there, but you're sort of stuck in that scenario yeah. with them. You can't look away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically that's it. Miriam, mm-hmm. and yet it's so many bits. It's the bits. <laughs> <laughs> Can I dare say yeah. that? Yeah, it's just the limbs. It's the. I'm glad know. you mentioned limbs. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't quite know where I was going to go with that, did you? (laughs) And, you know, psychoanalytically, it's Mm. the kind of the part objects. Instead of seeing a whole person, Mm. you're just seeing the part object. You're seeing one bit Mm. and you're focused on that. And it's such a primitive level, such a primitive level. It hasn't moved into something wider, which is well, he, what he's struggling with. He, he, he doesn't pr- He do. praises himself. He considers himself a Neanderthal early on. Yes, and that kind of brings was, me in. Yeah. You know, I come back to, there's kind of three sequences in this film I always come back to that I think are just perfect. There is the sequence we've been kind of talking about there, the sequence in the club where we hear Carrie Mulligan sing. sing. Mm. Then we have the date sequence with his co-worker. I think it's Marianne, I think is Marianne, his co-worker. Yeah. And it's just the awkwardest date I think anyone has ever been. I have been on awkward dates <laughs> over those years. And it's just awkward and you know nobody knows what to say. And she's quite disgusted that a man his age has had a relationship of, what, four months? Yeah. And then the last scene, I think, again, is perfect, is the sequence where he then brings Marianne. He can't bring Marianne to his own house. It's either a hotel or whether it's just an apartment that he's rented. It's not his place. He can't bring her to his fortress of solitude. And again, it's the thing I kind of alluded to earlier on, is sex can't be intimate. And it can't be... It's kind of like a bit like BDSM. I I sound like I'm really kind of knowledgeable about all these weird things. I'm not. It's research, Jim. It is. It's research. (laughs) You know, I I don't know whose computer would be worse, mine or Brandon's in this film at the minute. But we see how, kind of like in BDSM, who's in control, the submissive or the dominant? Who the submissive or the dominant? Who's really the person that is in control? And we see during that sequence, he's not in control of what's happening. And well, he he can't perform. Is probably the best way I can put it. And, you know, we see minutes later, you know, it's basically a prostitute has been hired. And this mm-hmm. fantasy that he saw earlier on in the yeah, film is then acted out and played out. It's it's just a strange thing about how, like, I, I don't know anyone here if you are experts in the field of sexual addiction. I am definitely not. But it, is, is it yeah. that I sense, is it that idea, <laughs> I seen a hand going up. And <laughs> is, Where? <laughs> Mary, I thought it was me that would bring this place down to the gutter, but um, I, I'm just kind of because it's not about. As I come back to, and I'm probably saying it, but a really hand-fisted roundabout way. But I mean, it, this it's not about a craving for intimacy, yeah, it's and it's not like I mean when we see Brandon, mm-hmm. we don't. I think when I remember when I wrote my review in this, it was one of the first reviews I ever wrote as a as a paid critic actually at the time for um, a magazine here, an online magazine here in Belfast and we think it's Brandon's boss is the kind of person we think of as a sex addict, that that person that when we think of sexual addiction, we think of kind of Michael Douglas, kind of oh, woe is me, I suffer from sexual addiction, it's like okay and 
Brandon's not what we think of. I, I know, maybe I'm I'm wrong, but I mean, feel free to enter if I can pass you yourself the microphone. Uh, well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but mm. uh, but I think um, you're going to say I'm wrong. <laughs> essentially, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean I think I think there is a real craving for intimacy there, and that that's his real problem that he's struggling with, and and how he manages that is with the the sex addiction. So the, mm. the addiction the, the the sex addiction I think is a is a defence against intimacy. I think it's very linked to intimacy. Okay. And that deep down, that's his real craving, is, is for intimacy and for contact and for connection. And sex is what he uses to fend that off. Mm. And it's kind of serial intimacy as a defense against intimacy, I think. It, you know, it, it, uh, it ensures that there is no real intimacy. Um, so then just kind of with your professional background, then, I mean, that sequence I'm alluding to, that sequence with his co-worker when it is sex on an as an intimate act and he can't I mean yes. kind of yeah. I mean can you kind of push in the kind of the kind of fundamentals of, of why that's the case when it's there if that's what he craves when it's there it's there's almost like a, a rejection of it because I think I think that's too painful for him and am I allowed to swear <laughs> fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay I mean because what I thought a lot watching it was fucking hell and, I, and yeah. I think I think it is a fucking hell that that he's created for himself and that to some extent they both live in a fucking hell mm. and I think that they've come from a fucking hell and we don't we don't quite know what that consists of yeah uh, but there's enough there's enough hints there and there's no there's no boundary between them in the shower scene but there's no doors locked you know there's mm -hmm. plenty of hints that there has been no boundaries growing up and for me i think the key line in the song that that came out to me was um the line about the little town blues mm. that are melting away I, I i just think there's a, a very strong hint of kind of small town whether it's small town island or small town mm. jersey uh incestuous sexual abuse and that they're desperately trying to, uh, you know, get away from that, and they're drawn to this big city. Mm. Um, but it's—I mean, I thought I thought it's a terrific film. Had you seen it before? No, I've no. never seen it before. No, no. I thought, but I, I mean, I thought it was terrific. But but I thought it was amazing that. I, I mean, I really thought that this is a fucking hell. I mm. mean, it's it's, and and that, I mean, that there's a. Um, Californian analyst called Stoller, and he would he writes a lot about perversion, and he would write a lot about this idea of perversion as a triumph over trauma. So when people have been uh, sexually traumatized, that they would find some way it, through the perversion of uh, it's you know a perverse triumph over trauma. So he kind of takes some control. So yeah. I think I think he's very vulnerable when the co-worker tries to connect up with him mm. on a more emotional level. I think that's much more, you know, he's in much more dangerous territory, mm. I think, psychologically, than when he's out on the street or mm. when he's enlisting someone to beat himself up. Because I think what's sad about that sequence is the fact that it's something that he triggers. You know, there's that sense kind of coming back to what Joe was saying, you know, it, it comes straight after his his purge of all his collection, let's say it kind of politely. 
And then there's that sense that he's had that awkward date. He comes home, he purges all of these belongings. And then it's like a conscious choice. He goes to work. He goes, he go, brings her into like the canteen, the kind of uh, kitchen area, kisses her and then takes her away. So it's something like, I mean, he's instigated, but then it's ultimately an act he can't fulfill. Again, putting it as kind of carefully as I can. But I, but I see, I think intimacy is what he craves more than anything. And it's what terrifies him more mm. than anything. So he, there's, there's that oscillation back and forward between yeah. the two. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's something very manic about all that. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a manic defence, I think, all the, the sexual addiction, all the, mm. all the fucking. Um, mm. And I think you get a sense of that when the running, I think, was really interesting. Mm -hmm. That um, there's something unbearable for him about hearing his sister having sex with this man who yeah. is a father. And, it, you know, it suggests, mm -hmm. I think there's an undertone there. It's not the first time he's heard his sister having sex with a father. Because it's funny when you say that, at just before where he kind of his escape to the streets of New York, we see he's almost like a small child in the corner of yes. the room, kind yes. of not in a fetal position, but um, he is. He kicks his feet. Yeah. Off, he kick, kicks his feet off. He kicks his shoes off. He's basically in the corner, haunched, and then like, there comes a point where he cannot take any more. Yes. And then basically, as I say, as you say, escapes to the streets. And that's it's sequences like that that reminded me so much of when I watched Taxi Driver. But I think I think you're right. I think he's back at somewhere yeah. that he knows well that is unbearable, that's hellish. And yeah. And he, he starts to he starts to run. And when when's the other time he runs? Uh, oh, so at the end, isn't it after uh, when he's running to the apartment because he can't get in touch with Sissy yeah. because yes. there's been the yes. suicide in the subway lane, yeah. and mm. he just instantly clicks with him. Oh God, she's done something wrong or something horrible. Sorry. That's right. Mm. So I, so I thought there's a couple of times when he because a lot of the time he doesn't seem to have much feeling at all. Mm. But a couple of times when he's really in touch with feeling, whether it's that terrible fear that overtakes him, yeah. that time when he, he, he thinks about his sister, <laughs> or the other time there's that unbearable pain that he, he's in touch with, I think, listening to the sound of them having sex. And that, you know, it's interesting, he runs at those times. Mm. He runs like fuck. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That's too many swears. Too many. <laughs> You've gone too far. You've gone too far. Yourself earlier on was kind of talking about kind of mainstream cinema, tackling these type of issues. There is a film much more kind of mainstream, uh, Don John, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Scarlett Johansson, that deals with it in it, that deals with the same kind of issue of sexual addiction. It's much more kind of about an addiction to online pornography, but it's handled much less shockingly than this. It's handled much more, I don't want to say safe, because it's still addressing sexual addiction, and issues that come from that. But I mean, if, you know, not that I would recommend further reading or further viewing, you know, it is a nice companion to, to this, but it's much more kind of feels the need to wrap everything up by the end. Like by the end of this, we don't know, like Brandon could be on a way to kind of, he's in a, maybe in a better self, better place, more self-aware place than he was at the start of this film, mm -hmm. but he's not cured by the better use of words. A film like Don John in comparison does feel the need to wrap it up and say, right, you are cured. He's maybe more prepared for that journey than he was. Brandon is not prepared. When we see him at the opening of the film, he's literally kind of like almost, I'm going to say like a gaunt kind of husk of a person. Mm, when we first, yeah. picture with and there's a sequence, 
you know, again, we there's a there's a Twitter page that does uh, one perfect one perfect yeah, one shot, perfect shot yeah. and there's a sequence. It's just after the the sex scene with the the prostitute after the the field date with his coworker, mm-hmm. and it's just a scene in silhouette from behind of him in darkness looking out uh, the Hudson, and he just I've never seen someone look more alone yeah. than yeah, yeah. and it, and it, it comes back to that sense of it's New York, it's the city of you know. The big city idea, we're going to go and make it. And here are people who never feel more alone. Yeah, so like, you know, the idea, you know, the city's full of people, but you can still be the loneliest person in the yeah. world. And that's what Brand is through his addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I know we're going to have to wrap things up. Does anybody have anything last to say kind of before we, we bring things to a close? Linking what David said and what you said earlier about uh, Travis Bickle and more than Robert De Niro, he reminded me of Daniel Day Lewis. And at first I couldn't think of what film it was, and it was the unbearable lightness of being. Mm. And that sense of the unbearable, and with the co-worker, he, up till then he was the looker. He, it was his eyes doing the watching. Yeah. And when he's in bed with her, she's looking at him, and she's seeing him, the mm. person. And I think that, that's what's unbearable. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that's the terror behind it then. Yeah. So I think that pretty much brings this recording to a close thank you for having us thank you to Joe, thank you to Mary and hopefully you'll have us back so that's all for this week's podcast thank you for listening, thank you to the Psychoanalytical Film Club for having us at their event, if you've enjoyed this recording don't forget to subscribe however you get your podcast and fix, we'll be back with another episode next week, but for now until then, goodbye (laughs) you <laughs>